Welcome to the Stude Media Podcast, episode number three with Bick and Cynthia Smith of Cybic Productions. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> and I'm the Loaded Gun, and we uh, had a chance to go to their beautiful home and sit down with them and have a great conversation about everything media, but uh, the local scene, right? Yeah, Bick's, Bick's done a lot, pretty much all of it. He's done TV and radio, and now he's finally made the jump with his wife into the um, uh-huh. world of... of producing i guess i mean he's he's basically a, a pr firm that they just decided to make out of their house a production company too I production think. company yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they produce you know films and, and music videos but they also produce commercial content too you know what i th- thought was great about uh talking to bick was that he keeps going i mean he just keeps going in all aspects of, of media and never stops radio tv everything and uh which gives inspiration to me and other people that you can you can still do this no matter how old you are and uh and you can just I'm not saying that he's old. Come on now, quit looking at me like that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to body slam you. <laughs> I will edit that for Bix. Thank uh, you. Sensitivity. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah that, uh, definitely. He's definitely uh, progressed. He, you know, he started here as a radio producer, and you know, we'll we'll learn more about that as we get into the podcast. But more about us. If you want to share us with friends and family, we would really appreciate it. It's the only way our our podcast is going to get out there to the masses or even the minors. Uh, studmedia.com is the website, and we've got updates on all of our shows, including upcoming and past guests, as well as links to other cool things. Or check us out on Facebook. That's always a fun page to go to. Or follow us on Twitter. We always have updates and uh, get a little crazy on that end of it. Yeah, we might trash talk a little bit more on Twitter than Facebook, but, you know, that's what Twitter's for. Exactly. Otherwise, you can email us any show ideas at studmedia at gmail.com. All right, let's get to it. <laughs> Student Media Podcast number three, Bick and Cynthia Smith, Cybic Productions. first too so skinner and the loaded gun skinner and the loaded gun thank you Tony. Oh, I mean, ah. well, we're going so thank you guys for letting us come into your home yeah this is great of course and pull this off uh you know big smith cynthia smith we're here in your palatial estate in oakdale minnesota i can't believe the uh guards let you guys in here you know we had to pull a few strings but we're here right yeah, we got in. Uh, both of us stuck in your driveway. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> beautifully love Minnesota. Groomed driveway you have out there. Yeah, plow is busted. Sorry. Really, your plow is in the shop it's right now. It's actually in the shop right now. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it goes. Well, Big Smith, uh, you know we have a long history. Yes. Uh, in in it's really funny. Well, it's a small world because Tony actually used to work. He was in promotions at KDWB. That's where we met. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, what was it, 1990? This was 92. 91 or 92? 92. Because it was Steve's birthday. Yeah. I came up in April of 92. Okay. That makes sense. And I met you. Yeah. Working on the morning show. Yeah. So you are the person I have known longest in this state. I am sorry. That's, you know what? It <laughs> just, it says a lot about Minnesota. What? What? I'm not sure. So you were 92? I think it was late '80s, early '90s when right. I you were there. there. You were there before. right when Tony Fly came there. That's my. Oh, right when Tony Fly, because that was he was right he after was, Bobby Wild, right? Yeah, yeah, he was there after 
after I was there. I thought I'd not. Okay, too. maybe I can't. Yeah, Tony Fly came late, late in '92. You, there, there are musical chairs and radio. Mm-hmm. What? Get that? Yeah, huh? Top forty radio. Wow. Can't wow. believe it. Yeah. I remember the hair of Tony Fly back then. Yes, it was I did too. And quite long and luscious. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Bic, Bic, speaking of long and luscious hair. Yeah, thank you. Yes, there we go. Great yeah. segue here. Yeah. No, that was uh, we. You know, we were. <laughs> you were you were producing the Steve Cocker Produced show. the show in the morning, yep. And I was the intern that uh, Lee Valswick uh, penned the name uh, Shut Up Sean because Shut up Sean. I wouldn't stop right. talking when they put a microphone in front of me. You guys almost got me arrested two or yep. three times. We put you out in, in kind of dangerous uh, missions sometimes. And yeah. Things we wouldn't do to other adults. No, well, and I, I, I would not consider myself then or now an adult, but <laughs> the... <laughs> I think the most dangerous one you guys put me in was uh, you sent me to the Hyatt downtown Minneapolis mm-hmm. with a with a baseball mitt, a potted plant, and a uh, Zach Morris phone cell phone to go wake up Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco and get them to play catch with me in the lobby of the Hyatt. That was beautiful. That yeah. was. Did it work? To- Did- do you remember what happened? Uh, no, I don't. All I just remember we picked Ken Seiko and, and McGuire because they were two of the largest people we had ever seen on TV. Right. We and just that, thought, let's send Skinner over there. And at that time, I hadn't gained any uh, you know, baby weight or anything yet, so I was quite a small fella. But what had happened is people at the, at the hotel were listening to the radio station. Oh, so they knew. They knew I was coming. They apprehended me immediately and brought me down in what I like to call like the seventh layer of hell security room. And they allowed me to call Steve live on the air yeah. as I'm sitting in this chair underneath, like, one of those lights from one of these, you know, cop shows, you know, mm-hmm. where they're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, uh, and Steve put it on the air live, and it was, oh, that's it was fantastic. That's great radio. Oh, yeah. Was that, was that the Hyatt or was that the Whitney? Oh, it was the Hyatt. Hyatt. It was oh, the Hyatt. It was the Hyatt. We usually send people to sacrifice people over at the Whitney. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually get lucky enough to, to get, okay. you know, apprehended over at the Whitney. <laughs> I actually lived uh, two blocks from um, Steve Cocker. But you were you were in promotions Months. at KBW, right? right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So you were one of the people who would go out on events and throw t-shirts. Exactly. And... I worked at the Mall of America, a little store there. Oh right, I, oh, I totally forgot That's about right. this. That's right. Oh, yeah. how things have changed. John something was my boss. I can't remember the name. O'Connor? Uh, maybe. John. What? What's what? John. The police chief of St. Paul. No, not that John. Okay. <laughs> hey, it could be that too. Okay. Uh, anyway, anyway, let's yeah. get into this here. Absolutely. Should we? Yeah, let's, let's, well, I mean, well, let's start. Well, I, I honestly, let's just say, you know, we have that history, you know, we're Cubs fans together. Absolutely, yeah. Live and die, you know, by the, by the red and blue, but it's, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of history, but you've gotten out of radio. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've made the jump. I mean, tell us, tell us a little bit since KDWB in 92, mm-hmm. when you came to Minnesota. Yeah. You, you, there was a, quite a list of radio stations that you worked at locally. Well, yeah, and I, I, you know, I worked at a few, I only lasted at KDWB for six months because there was a massive issue that came up with the whole morning show and just people got blasted out right and left. So that's big market radio. You move on. Right. So I ended up going and taking various odd jobs. I was a deli cook for a while. I did some uh, plant, you know, summertime plant stocking at, at the local garden store and all that. Then I got into theater and... Uh, started doing a summer show, which over, seems like like a great like a, you know a normal progression to go from planting to then all of a sudden <laughs> in, in, in the theater. theater. Right, right. Well, there's certain brain deadness, you know, with, with you got your plants and vegetative states, and then you got actors, and you can draw your own conclusions there. But I met a certain actor in that first show back in '94, and it was my wife. 
Cynthia. And so the person I've known second longest in Minnesota now, right here. So yeah, we, we met in 94. We ended up starting our own theater in Stillwater. Very nice. Uh, downtown. And ran it for three and a half years. Did, uh, I'm going to say, over three dozen productions. And then uh, finished up in the late 90s. I worked over at the radio station in Stillwater uh, when it was WIMN. Then it became WEZU. And now it's KLBB. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from there, moved on to various other jobs and such, WMNN, which was a news radio station mm-hmm. on 1330, KLBB, which was the original KLBB in uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis. And then stuff has changed through the years, but somehow I've stayed in touch with radio up until the beginning of uh, 19, or excuse me, 2013. And then I left, got out of radio for good, I think. <laughs> this time anyway. This time anyway. What did you notice uh was the biggest change in radio over those years? I mean, obviously, it's it's become hugely digital and, yes. and you know, corporate but, too. It, well, very much so. But I mean, what did you notice, like that kind of swayed you away well, from radio? You know, the, when I was working in small market radio in upstate New York, I the dream was always get to the major market, and I thought Minneapolis, St. Paul, market sixteen, it's going to be great there, and you get there. And it's different, it's larger, there are a lot more people, the money's a little better, but not, you know, necessarily, unless you're a big star in radio, you don't really bring in a lot of, a lot of the money. And I thought, I've really been pushing my whole life to be in a, in a major market, and now I'm here, and it doesn't feel all that great to me. So <laughs> That's the funny thing about radio, too, it's like the politics, even in a smaller market where they're locally owned and, they, and you know, they have fewer people in the stations... All that stuff translates all the way up to the major markets. I mean, obviously, you have more advertisers and bigger advertisers in the bigger markets, but just the little things about people wanting to be on air more and wanting to get, you know, picked for certain promotions and yep. things like that, and you're, you know, you're clawing your whole way, every, even if you make it to that major market. Sure, sure. And you mentioned before that the technology has changed immensely back when I was in radio, and even when I was working at KDWB in 92, we were playing music on what are called carts, obviously. And for the people that aren't familiar with these, they look like eight-track tapes. They just don't have the innards inside. They just have tape, and you put them into these machines, and you hit them. So it's all on tape. So any dropout in that tape can be heard on the air. Mm-hmm. The quality varies depending on how long ago you carted up a song and all that. So we were still doing that, and then all of a sudden, CDs started appearing. And that was in the early 90s, and yeah. we did that. And uh, now CDs are so completely yesterday's mm-hmm. news. Everything's digital. We were cutting promos back then. I was still cutting tape with a with a razor with a razor blade. blade right? Yeah, that's and how that I was, was taught. Right. You get one shot, and that's it. And so now with digital, it's yeah. just so server based. Yeah. yeah. You, Tony, you went to Brown. I went to Brown as well. Yes. Okay, so we both went to Brown Institute, and I remember going and graduating in '95. Okay. Even after Steve told me I should never go to, to a broadcasting school, he said, you learned everything you needed to know during your internship here at KDW. Yes. When I called, I was sitting on the couch, and I called Brown when they had that uh, infomercial on. Oh, yeah. I up, and they said I had a great voice. I was ready for Brown. Oh, nice. All I had Perfect. to do was go to school. There you go. But when we went, we were taught on tape. You cut yeah, you cut with a exactly. razor blade. You taped with a little Sliced blue and, piece yep. of tape. And, and I remember graduating and going back one week after graduation before I, you know, I wanted to say goodbye to some professors and stuff like that. 
And they had just put installed all the computers. Yeah. They brought in Scott Studio, and they were going to do everything on computer. And I'm, I, it was just like foreign to me. And I had just graduated a week before. Luckily, they placed me in a job. But it's, you know, it's crazy how fast. I mean, it just went from one extreme to the other yeah. in, in a matter of you know, weeks over there. I think what's important, though, too, is the tools may change, but I think the skills are still pretty much the same. Oh, sure. You know, Absolutely. The talent you have to... You know, be engaging, especially with radio. Do you find radio is a little bit more tougher than television? Um, yeah, I think it is a little bit just because you have to get the whole uh, thought and everything out without any visuals. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a certain mystery that remains in, in that and being able to broadcast and, and be understood as opposed to where you can make expressions and things on camera. So, it, I think I still have a respect for what radio is, mm -hmm. it's just, it's difficult because it's, you know, there's, you got, all the stations are owned by just a few people now, and it's all kind of the all same All media is like that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I just, I, I think radio has changed a lot, but if you get right down to the fundamentals of doing it, as you were saying, I, I, I think it, it, it is a difficult thing to do, and you've got to be able to have the, the tools to do it. You can't just get by if you don't have the, the talent. Right. So, you've made a transition out of radio. Yeah. And that transition includes your wife. Yes. You guys decided that it's time to to do, what, what is it you, you do? <laughs> Cynthia, you can, you can, not sure. You can help us out here. You could jump in. Yeah. I bite my nails a lot, Mr. Ah, Skinner. Okay. <laughs> we, we started a video production company called, uh, originally we called it Cybic Creative. And then we changed it to Cybic Productions. Which is a nice, you know, blend of your names. Yes, of course. absolutely. Yeah. Cy. For Cynthia. And Vic for Vic. How precious. Yes. yes. And she gets top billing, of course. Of, of course. course. Of course. It just yes. sounds better. Like it flows better. I think. Yeah. yeah. Binthia Creative doesn't sound as well. Yeah. We considered that, Skinner, but it, it didn't quite go. So what kind of projects are you guys working on as far as, you know, video production? Obviously, there's a lot of companies out there kind of like this mm -hmm. that you're, you know, competing with. Yeah. What, what, what is it you guys bring to the table? What we do is we, we get the story out there. A lot of people will come in with, and you know, you look at video cameras and you've got top-of-the-line cameras and you've got cameras that are, you know, the flip cameras and such. We like to create quality video. We get the people's story out there, the focus and we work for companies that need website promotion and such, and they want to get that focus out to the public, and we feel like we're able to do that. Are you guys finding that there's there's a lot of these companies out there? Like, It's a lot easier now because the equipment has become so cheap. I mean, you can get cheap equipment, and you can go out and you can do this. Anybody can do their own podcast now from your own living room in your pajamas. Speaking of cheap equipment. Yeah, there you exactly. go. There it is. <laughs> but <What? laughs> but I, we feel like what makes us different is Bix many years in radio and television. He knows how to interview. He knows the equipment. Um, and then my many years in acting, teaching, improv, uh, as a tour guide, historical tour guide, I know how to tell stories. I know what makes something interesting just by looking at it right away. And so we feel that's what makes us different, is we really know how to look at something as not just, oh, here's a little interesting sound bite, but how it will all fit together to tell the story for the client. And, and obviously your equipment that you choose to use is, is you know, it's important, but you're not going to, I know a lot of people who, 
who have actually approached me for video projects and I explain what I'm using and, and how to do the project and they're like, oh, I have a friend who has an iPhone. I'm just going to have them do it because then they hear the price or they hear, you know, the quote and they're like, you know, they're dumbfounded by, by what it actually takes to do something like this. And you know, Tony, I mean, mm -hmm. shooting something and then editing something takes a significant amount of time usually, mm -hmm. you know, no matter what gear you're using. Usually for... Uh, every hour that you see somebody shooting something, they're four or five hours in the editing bay trying to get it to look coherent. And that's the thing where a lot of people don't understand what the value of this product is. And like you said, well, my uncle can shoot it on his iPod. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it looks like something shot on an iPod. I think people are starting to realize that you pay for what you get, and there's a lot of you know overnight companies and stuff. But if you go with somebody with the experience, such as you guys have, and the quality equipment. I mean, it really does make a difference. And people buy, are still spending thousands of dollars on these huge TVs. They don't want to see some real right. bad video. That's a really good point. And, and I don't mean to cut you off, but yes, I mean, the TVs are getting nicer and nicer and they're getting less, less and less expensive. HD too. Full HD, 4K, I mean, all these great things. So people aren't going to want to see half the crap that's on YouTube on their big screen TV. And that's what shooting with an iPhone is the kind of quality you're going to get. Well, and you, but you also, and one of the challenges for our company is to figure out, are you catering to people on the big widescreen HDTVs, or are you catering to people who are using mobile? Do you cater to both? Does it matter if you use, you know, what kind of camera for mobile stuff? Because it is so small, and so many people these days, it seems like, are, are just sitting there and just viewing everything on, on a small phone. For me, the viewing experience happens in as big a screen as I can possibly get in front of me. And I, I think a lot of people are, are, are with that, especially if they've got time to do it. Well, and they're making it easier now to stream online videos on your TV, mm -hmm. you know, which, which before was, was near impossible without 100 feet of cable in your house or, you know, anything like that. But you guys, you guys actually produced a film. Now, is, how, do you, how do you classify that film? Is it a docudrama? Is it a... Is it we a, had so many discussions about this. Dramumentary? It, what is, a, <laughs> it is a documentary-style movie. There you go. Okay. And which one is this? Gang this yeah, go Gangsterland, ahead. and we produced it and released it in uh, spring of 2011. And I, I want to ask you, because I've never asked you this, what kind of experience did you have shooting before you thought of filming Gangsterland? Because you did everything yourself. Right. Yeah. We, uh, you know, my shooting went from days in working in television where you'd go out as a reporter along with the camera as a one-man band, and I would shoot with cameras there, and I did a little bit of shooting, and we had done some documentary work uh, for the Minnesota Historical Society back in uh, 2007, 2008. So then, new camera and everything, we just thought, we got to go out and get this, get this movie that we've been wanting to do. You know, and saying we did documentary work for the Minnesota Historical Society sounds a whole lot more highfalutin than it was. Uh, they had um, a project they called the Greatest Generation Project, where uh, they just said, hey, anybody with any kind of camera, go out there and do a little documentary under 10 minutes about somebody born between this year and that year, the Greatest Generation. So we took the first one, was just a cheap little tiny, like from $100 over-the-counter thing from Target, and filmed a little documentary about my father and got it in. And then the next year, we had a slightly better camera, was not HD, and we did um, a little documentary about a man that we knew from my work down at the Wabashaw Street Caves, Mr. Charles Beasley, a band leader, very impressive fellow. And so we 
got them into that, but it was experience. You know, we didn't get paid a thing. You didn't, there weren't any awards. We just did it. It seems like that's kind of the, the way you have to kind of jump into it right now is you have to do a couple of things, not get paid for it. Just you're paying yourself with experience. It's like going to school for free is kind of how I looked at it. And that's kind of what our movie Gangsterland was. And the whole thing came about extremely organically. I have been doing the gangster tour down at the Wabasha Street Caves since 1998. And so I know a lot of gangster history. And Vic saw the possibilities in that story of it being a movie and kind of kicked around with a script for I don't know how many years that he took just sort of two. two. Okay, just doing it a little bit here, a little bit there. And we were kind of getting close to going, well, boy, it sure would be fun to film this thing, but wow, we have zero budget. And we were down at my cousin's farm um, in, it was July 4th of 2010. He has a big July, uh, 4th of July party every year. And we're talking about this going, yeah, but man, those cars, you know, and uh, from the 30s, well, my cousin collects 1930s cars. And he said, conveniently. Conveniently. It worked out beautifully. It was wonderful. And we said, well, you know, we'd be driving these along uh, gravel roads. And he goes, eh, I don't care. Where do you find a guy with a 1932 car who doesn't care that you're driving down? And so then Vic was saying to my cousin, well, you know, one of the things we'd love to do is tell the story of the Hastings Spiral Bridge when John Dillinger and uh, Van Meter were being chased by the FBI. But it was torn down decades ago. And he says, well, I know a guy who has one. Like, are you kidding? Is a bridge? A bridge? He's got, he says, yeah, he built himself a replica of it on his uh, place over there in uh, Hastings. And we went to see, he goes, yeah, he's here at the party. No, come on over, let me meet him. So he introduces us to Steve, who owns the little log house, uh, Pioneer Pioneer Village. Village. Pioneer Village, right. Right, where he collects buildings like other people collect stamps. And he had a fully stocked general store. He has he a post had, office wow. too, by the way. He has way. a post yes. office. Speaking he of had stamps, a jail. Yeah. And it was crazy. It's amazing. He has the he has the old Porky's from St. Paul right Porky's, now. Porky's yep. he hauled really? down there. The yeah. High View. Yeah. Wait, what's what's the the old drive-in? The High View. The the Can one he that has that now. He yeah. has the drive-in. He has that. And he his has plan gas is stations. It's like a yeah. movie lot. It's like wow. a set. It's fantastic. Wow. And he let us film there basically in exchange for taking some photos for his brochure. And my sister is a photographer. So we brought her down, so we got the cars for nothing, we got the set for nothing, and the guy we wanted to play our lead, a really talented actor named Mike Postel, uh, happened to have been laid off from his job and had nothing to do. An out-of-work actor, you say? Uh, I know, what a shock. <laughs> wow, I can't I believe it, right? I know, who's willing to work for food, amazing. <laughs> I love how that's, this fell together. I mean, everything just came together. Yeah, it, it, the funniest thing was when, as we went over there, as the Steve was saying, all right, Follow me over. It was 10 miles away from Hampton over to Hastings. Mm-hmm. We drive on to his property, and he said, now, i got 160 buildings here. We're driving along, and it was like walk, driving onto the Warner Brothers lot. Wow. It was crazy. And at that moment, we said, okay, we have to do this movie. Mm-hmm. And so we did that. We basically got at it from the 5th of July until the major scenes were shot by the 1st of September. Mm-hmm. We just moved really fast. Skinner was in a scene. Did a great Ooh. job playing Byron Bolton, a, a yep. component oh, member. I got to ride in one of those 1930s cars. Nice. So Very we nice. shot the movie. We, we You made the outtakes, too. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. <laughs> it, 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 there's a dog barking. <laughs> <laughs> so you, Production the, value. You didn't know you could bark? You know, we just went. <laughs> oh, he can. Oh, I can. Um, but, you know, the movie now is for sale at the Historical Society. It's showing on TPT. It's at Love for Minnesota. We sell it online. It's sort of taken on this life that we had 
no idea. And when we look back at when we were shooting, it's like, we just did it. Well, you had no budget. We had no budget. Well, no. How much of you, in, in how much of your own resources do you feel like you put into it, and have you gotten any of that back? Well, we did receive, you know, we received a very small grant uh, to put a, a shorter version onto a cable TV station, mm-hmm. um, and that was less than a thousand. Was that before or after you actually produced the? That the was film? before. Okay. So we were able to give people stipends to drive to Hampton or Hastings to do some shots, and a little thank you food here and there, and that was it. And so for our resources, really, it didn't cost a lot except time and just some driving and just going out. And one, you know, you know what it's like when you're working on a project and you say, I need to get that shot. Well, I'll get this shot while I'm at it. It just takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And so for the next couple of months, you know, we were just picking up shots here and there just to fill in spots. It's only a 41-minute movie, mm-hmm. but we ended up also shooting two documentaries alongside of it that we include in on the, the package of the DVD and interviewing folks and such. And so it really was, you know, if you look from start to finish, it was probably a year and a half of shooting just and, in pieces. But the one documentary that's on there, we actually recorded in 2007, never knowing what we were going to do with it. I happened to be, or it was maybe 2009, but it was a few years before we started filming it is the point. And it's um, a woman who contacted me out of the blue because she Googled her grandmother. Uh, because her grandmother, Don't ever Google your grandmother. Don't ever go- <laughs> well, she had no idea how uh, infamous her grandmother had been. Her grandmother ran with the Barker gang and was a woman named Edna Murray, who was best known as the Kissing Bandit. And then when she Googled Edna Murray Kissing Bandit, my face came up a thousand times because that's the character I play on the gangster tour. And so she wrote me a letter and just said, hey, you pretend to be my grandma. And I'm like, I didn't know she had a granddaughter. So she came up here, and she's just a hoot. And we sat her down in the middle of Rice Park, and we just said, talk. Tell us about your grandmother. And we had that material, and we went, well, this would be a great companion piece to Gangsterland. So we edited it all together. We filmed a couple little expository things in our kitchen with me explaining a few blanks, you know, to make it make sense and stuck that on. And then we had these other interviews with um, retired St. Paul police officers from the St. Paul Police Historical Society that we had also filmed a couple of years before. And we ended up chopping up pieces of that and putting it in the movie and then took the rest of it and made a documentary. So we just took what we had and sort of so as as so you'd consider yourself independent filmmakers. Yes. Did you make any money on this film? And you don't have to give me any figures or anything, but I mean did it obviously you didn't do it with the idea of making money. You did it just for the art of it, correct? You know, I we started without you know thinking well, we're not going to make any money on this and by the time it was done and then we had these documentaries on the side and thought okay let's package this up then it had changed into well let's just see how this does out there and so yeah we've you know we've made a little bit of money in the last couple of years I feel like it's changed my philosophy on things that if you want to really put a lot of effort into something you should try to get it to a point where it can where it can sustain sure where it can make a little bit of money if possible um I I it, it's it, you can call it a labor of love for so long, and then you've got to say this needs to create something, some money. 
did it change paths along the way? A year and a half is a long time. And I know when I've gotten into projects, sometimes you just have a frustration or you just sometimes, it does take that life of its own and change paths or direction. Did that happen to you? I don't know if it really, if it really changed direction or not. I think we had a we had a script that we put together that was fairly short, um, that had some improvisational work a lot of it by Cynthia in there, um, but it, it stayed true to what it was. the The idea was have these gangsters from the 1930s tell you how they knocked off a bank, how they had a, a relationship with someone, and how they died, and just have them tell the story. And I think that stayed pretty steady throughout. I think maybe uh, the only thing that really changed was perhaps there were some scenes that we would like to have included, but they didn't get in there for a couple of reasons. We didn't think about it at the time, or we shot it. And because we didn't have a monitor, because we were so bare bones that we go, oh, look at that 2009 <laughs> Chevy parked in the driveway behind there. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be 1933. Well, that won't work. You know, and there's a few other things where we learned that, oh, we would do it differently next time, but... You didn't have a lot of your actors using the old-timey voice, either. There wasn't a lot of, hey, you, get over here, you know? <laughs> no, no, we wanted it to be more realistic than that, not some cheesy film noir from the 30s kind of thing, right. you know? It was just, the thrust of it was, we kind of wanted to get into the minds of these gangsters, who was just like, uh, well, this is my job. I go and I rob banks. You know, you go to the factory and make things. I go rob a bank. Yeah, that yeah, seems fair. Is that what Inland is about, or is that kind of, what is Inland about? Inland was a movie uh, that was uh, written and produced um, with uh, Jason Schumacher within the last year. That's a whole different, okay, a whole so different so. deal of a couple of, of, of a, basically a satanic individual and a guy who's just died. Mm -hmm. And they have this conversation, and it's rather unnerving and, and disturbing. We do our own films. We're working on a couple right now that we're working on various phases on, but we also go out and work on other films also, mm -hmm. like for the 48-hour film. We work with you, Skinner, a lot. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, you guys, yeah, well, I, I think, uh, Bick, we've had you and... Almost every film I've done, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've done for Red Twenty Three, including Grain Belt commercials, and yeah. you know, oh, that's right. and, yeah. and we don't ever seem to win anything. But no. that's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's I wouldn't it's tie those journey, two right? things together. I, it, right? No, I'm not not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the judging. I agree. It's the judging um, because Big's been fantastic. You you people people come to know you from our films not saying that our films are amazing or anything like that, but I'm just saying, you know, people, when they see you on screen, they're like, oh, that's probably a Red 23 film. Yeah. Uh, you did you did a couple of films for Z-Fest last year, correct? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you played different roles, obviously. Yeah. Um, in you know, in uh, Tour of All the Terrible, and, you know, uh, all three of us were in that to yeah. some extent. And I loved Ellen's Handler. You did amazing. <laughs> that was fun. That was a great show. Was a well, and you know, we, we're in pre-production on, on Handling Less, which is the sequel to Ellen's Handler, oh, which we're hoping to do in time for the South Dakota Film Festival and have it premiere at South Dakota. It's funny when we're out and Bick gets recognized, it's usually from one of two places, his pledge work at public television or Ellen's Handler. <laughs> two <Right>. totally different <laughs> things. Yeah, you couldn't look for a really... More diverse sort of offering there. Right, yeah, you have both ends of the spectrums covered yeah. right there with both of those, obviously. So kind of a brand going here, I see. Yeah, so, you know, in, in working with Red 23 Films and, and everybody with 
in these festivals has been so much fun. And I, I do want to just mention that going to Aberdeen for the South Dakota Film Festival was such a treat because you you received, Skinner, a lot of acclaim for the Torvald the Terrible movie uh, that we were all in and that you produced. And it was just so much fun because it's such a great festival there, the way they... They do films and have the folks. They come do in. an amazing job. Yeah, Those do. guys take care of their the actors and the directors and the and all the filmmakers that come in. And these guys travel the Midwest to to just bring in good films. Mm -hmm. And I think they they had a nice selection this last year. Oh yeah. But then they feed you and they give you free drinks <laughs> and like how can you not want to go and spend time and have your film screened on a large screen and then free drinks? Yeah. You know, you were asking before what the focus is of Cybic Productions, mm -hmm. what we're doing now, and. We do corporate work to put money on the table so we can go out and do the fun stuff, <laughs> like the Z Fest and the sure, sure, Fest and, and, and things bigger than that. Even you know that that you guys have. I'm sure you have passion projects. Obviously, mm -hmm. you you guys are working on Snow Girl. Mm -hmm. Still, you shot it. Was it last winter? Yes. Post production. It's in post production right now. We have a meeting tomorrow with um, our composer, who's doing okay. the score. And you you had your daughter star in that one. We did. She was a convenient actor, and we filmed it all in our backyard, um, and we just and uh, the nature center next door, and we called in a few friends when we needed some, um, and yeah, just did it. Again, we looked out and said, "What we want? Knew, we knew we wanted to film something," and Vic said, "You know what I'd love to do is something about a little girl who runs away into the snow." And so I said, okay. And I went into the other room and I wrote a script and I had it the next day. And yeah, like, it was I know, it well. was crazy. And so I brought it in and I said, is this what you're thinking about? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. And we wrote it so that it could all be done in our backyard and in our house. I didn't film, uh, pick any um, locations that I knew would be tough to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Cynthia was in the movie too. And that, I, that also brings us back to when we did Gangster Line. You try to, when you're writing a film... Um, and you're budgeting a film, you try to keep it within your means. And so that was the whole idea with that. You, you just try to be as resourceful as you can, find as many free locations as you can or trade-off locations in order to get it done. Because there's nothing worse than write a scene that you can't possibly afford to shoot, especially if you're trying to keep it no budget, you know, which is what we've been doing for a lot of this. What do you think is, is your biggest challenge when you're trying to find a, a, a free location? I mean, obviously you have to ask somebody who owns the property or the place. I mean, do you, do you like cold calling people and, and, and doing that kind of thing? Sometimes you have to, but mostly, you know, we've been lucky in that we've had, as Cynthia mentioned, you know, relatives and then relatives who know people, who's good friends and this and that. And sometimes you're lucky that you're able to go in and say, that people will say, hey, yeah, sure, come on in and shoot. We just went through something like that with a trailer we're shooting for a movie that we'd love to get funded, and we needed a nightclub. And we went around to all kinds of different places and asked, cold called, Vic did it, and um, they all wanted to charge these outrageous amounts of money. And so we ended up going to the place where I work. We ended up going to the Wabashaw Street Caves, who never allows anybody to film for free, but I've worked there since 1998, so you kind of did a little, you know, call in a favor kind of thing. And you try not to go to the same bank too often. Right, right. You know? Of course. That can be tough. Tell me a little bit about that trailer you're working on. Obviously, it's for crooners. It's a script you penned, Bic. Yep. 
Yep, and that and that and I'm reminded often Cynthia was saying we really need to polish that script because now you go through the process of shooting a trailer, which is almost like writing an extra twelve pages. You know, we wanted to put together a two minute trailer, and so we went back, grabbed pieces, and then rewrote some stuff and all that. Now you look at it and say, oh, geez, I really need to improve this script. But it's it's the story of three guys who are singing standards in a small town, in a in a little nightclub. Well, the nightclub has gone from a little nightclub to this interesting sort of, you know, caves nightclub from the 1930s. Uh, but it's a romantic comedy, um, and it's a lot of fun. Just a lot of good music in there uh, from the from the day, and some good humor in there. And we're we're just about done shooting it right now. We're putting it together as a trailer to release. Uh, to investment potential. So you decided to go, you know, create the trailer, mm -hmm. you know, do that on your own, obviously as as low budget as you can, but then you want to try to, you know, use that to right. fund the actual feature, or right. what's the plan? Yes, yeah. We want to show it out there to some people, uh, you know, a handful of people that are out there who, who maybe are interested in, in getting a return on an investment, uh, and also put it out there on the, the, the websites to try to raise money. Because we know that there are a couple of things. The music rights on this are going to be expensive because there's a lot of music in it. Uh, the other thing is, too, you can get people to work for free for only so long. And being an actor for years now, we're both actors, it gets old after a while being asked to work for free. You mean you can't just be paid with a ham sandwich? <laughs> right. It, I mean, and, and people are so gracious and they'll do it, but you'd like to treat them treat them with a little money down the road. Sure. So we want to get some budget behind this. And that increases your production values and makes it more of a viable piece for, you know, distribution. But that said, if there's any filmmakers out there who <laughs> need someone of my demographic, I'm willing to work for a ham sandwich. <laughs> it just needs to be gluten-free. Thank you. What, what is a gluten-free yeah. ham sandwich made for? There's no bread involved, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> it's ham and lettuce. It's a lettuce wrap, I think, is what it would be. Basically, you know yeah. what I think is great is that you know people in this industry. You know, let's talk about age and demographics. Speaking of, they can be almost any age. Just keep going, have that idea, the story idea, and you just keep plugging through this. And that is true. Is like don't let your age stop you. You know, my friends are all buying their retirement homes right now, and we're starting a new business. Yeah, yeah, you, you really can. I, I look at it as experience, mm -hmm. been through enough stuff. You finally have maybe some focus and some direction in your life. I'm just speaking of myself. Sure. And so you say, I can do this. Mm -hmm. and, but it is something that you've got to put seven days a week into and take very seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, I am very self-deprecating at times, but I realize that that doesn't necessarily work in mm -hmm. this. You have to take it seriously enough to keep moving ahead and say, yeah, I can get this done, and it'll look pretty good. Do you find that that locally the, the actors and, and the filmmakers and things, you know, people like that are, are do they, how do, I don't even know how to put it, do you find that they're green and, 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 I'm glad well, we can edit it. Are here. you talking about experience? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about experience, but it's, I'm also talking about attitude because there's a lot of people, I think, who are making films now who think that their stuff is, is just amazing. And there is some amazing stuff out there, but there's also some garbage right. that's out there that people are being 
overly joyed and, and praised about, which I don't think that it's fair that they're getting that. And I think that's a Minnesota passive-aggressive, hey, I just saw mm-hmm. something on the big screen. It was terrible, but I'm going to give them a high five and clap them on the back. And then people have this weird sense of, of entitlement, and, and, and maybe that's just I'm sounding old. but No, I, I think there is something to it. There's a lot of very professional people here who take it seriously and understand what good quality is. And then you've got the other end of the people who go, I filmed this whole movie on my iPad, mm-hmm. you know, and you take it to a festival, and it, there was a particular one that I'm thinking of last year that we went to, and most of the movies I thought were not that good. And they were getting awards, and the handful of movies that were really good weren't getting the appreciation. So I was a little bit confused, and it's kind of like, it, it's almost... Like you said before, oh, there's a lot of people out there because anybody can film anything, but is it really that good? Or are all your friends just going, oh, look at you on the screen. Mm-hmm. How cute. It's a little reminiscent of working in theater for so many years. There are some smaller theaters that most of their audience is, is fellow actors or people that are in the business. and they, they are not drawing people from other households. And so you play to your friends, small houses, and it's a little bit of, and so you're very supportive of these people. You want them to keep going. You don't want to say, and maybe they're really good actors, they're good productions, but you don't want to say, hey, you should stop this and get serious about your life. And some of that, I think, exists still in the film community, too. You're being supportive, you're encouraging people at some of the festivals, but not everything is as good as some other stuff in those right. How do How do you feel that that you change the demographic on those things. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the film festivals, there's a lot of them that are, that are just for shorts, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the twin cities film festival has actually grown quite a bit in the last five years. Uh, there's a couple others that are actually, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, black international film festival. Mm-hmm. It's growing. I mean, the, these film festivals are growing. How do you change a demographic? Cause a lot of those are just filled. The seats are filled with fellow filmmakers, fellow mm-hmm. actors, mm-hmm. you know, how friends. do you get other people and friends? How do you get other people out? to be interested locally? I don't know. That's a tough one because I think it's time. I think, it, it again, you have to get enough publicity out there for people opening up the newspaper or going online to say, you know, this sounds good and isn't that interesting? And, and again, when you're promoting these, these fests, you've got to give something to people to identify with. And so if they see that there are a couple of films there that may touch their lives... Maybe they'll come out, and then you spread it. You know, you spread the word. You know, it's word of mouth from there. It's not a quick process, I think, in any, in any sense, in in this situation. I do feel like the short film festivals are. I, there's a little bit of a diluted product there. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what I was kind of just mentioning, there's there were. A, was it the 48 you were referring to, Cynthia? I was. With all the. I wasn't sure if I could mention it all by the, name. <laughs> all the, all the poop. Movies that were based around feces and, and yeah. oh yeah, there was a lot of poop jokes last See, year. Here was the problem: we were involved in a film with you, mm-hmm. uh, and I had invited a lot of friends oh. that actually came, and I had a couple who walked out halfway through the evening because the quality was just mm. like so. Um, it, it wasn't anything that will make them want to come back to that festival next year. And that's another problem is you've got to get the PR out, but you've got to give the general public something that they will be interested in seeing. Right. Absolutely. We had, we had a, a guy on our set, Ben, mm-hmm. um, 
who who's uh, he's a neighbor. He lives across the street, and his parents are big film buffs. And he's he's going to Madison to be, you know, a film person. He hasn't decided kind of what his role is going to be yet. But he was he was a PA, and he actually acted in our film for the Forty Eight. And his parents were super excited. They came to the to the theater, and they sat through three films about poop jokes and you know other things that were just terrible. And I gave them their money back. <laughs> No. For, for coming all the way down there, but they were so excited to see their son on yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know they won't be back. Yeah. yeah, you know, unless we put him in a starring role, they're not coming back to that film festival just because it was it wasn't run very well, and and some of the films were just so. Do you think that's happening? Do you think the threshold is getting lower, or does it? You've got a good theory on that. Well, I I think there is a um, there there's a separation going on with festivals. There's been a just a, a huge influx of festivals. All these towns are you know it's money maker mm-hmm. for towns, mm-hmm. and it it puts you on the map a little bit. And so a lot of these towns are getting festivals. The good ones are going to separate from the ones that aren't necessarily uh, so good. And I think that people um, that are going to these that are that are there's a younger demographic that's making movies that's going to be suitable for some of these starter mm-hmm. festivals. We're seeing that a little bit with the 48 hour because it's a great opportunity for you to make um, a did film it, in 48 did hours. A, did a duck sneak in here? What's, yeah, that's we've got clock. something going on. Wildlife in the kitchen. <laughs> I did I did hear a tornado siren going off. No, that's the noon whistle in North St. Paul. <laughs> it's Wednesday. It's, it's a little town that likes to pretend no one else is around. <laughs> it's not the first Wednesday of the month, though, no, is it? No, it goes off every day at noon in North St. Paul. Yeah, it's it's our lunch reminder. You guys have an early curfew in North yeah, St. Paul. Yeah, we do. Well, they got the snowman there, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but getting back to the festivals, I think... It's also, like you were saying, there's a separation. I think mm-hmm. those who are starting to take it more seriously are moving on to different festivals than perhaps something like the 48, which is a really great starter festival. If you want to just cut your teeth and challenge yourself, filming a, something in 48 hours is a great idea. But after a while, you realize, I think I've kind of outgrown this. Well, and I think it also separates the talent from the, from the people who are still learning. Um, like what we were talking about earlier, people can get these cameras for a couple hundred bucks and go out there, but people need to understand, they need to understand the skill and how to do this mm-hmm. properly, storytell, you know, all the sequencing, everything that goes into it, not just turning on the camera. It's great to have a good idea, but you can't flush it out. So that's why, again, people need to know what kind of quality companies they're hiring, especially like, like yours. You have a great company. But people need to understand, you know, the, the background of the companies that they employ too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, it, the market is flooded right now with mm-hmm. a lot of video production and such, and so you do have to take a, uh, I think, a careful look at, at what you're getting. You know, we've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, hook on with local clients uh, like Hamlin University, City Pages, to do some production work. We're also working with Canadian Pacific Railway doing. Mm-hmm the recent Cheryl Crow concert that came in, able to shoot video for them, for their website, and for their promotional uses. And you wouldn't be able to do that with an iPhone or... or a, That's a pretty big client. I mean, yeah. did you yeah. get to meet Cheryl Crow? Uh, no. As a matter of fact, Cheryl, I, I guess, is a terrific human being, but there are people that, contra- that put together contracts around Cheryl, and there is only so much opportunity, sure. or perhaps no opportunity to meet her. She did do a bit of a, uh, a VIP meet and greet uh, before her concert, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to. But she was great on stage. Our client wanted us to interview her, but the 
the group around her did not allow it. You would think that they they would have you know her her publicist and her you know yeah, manager stuff like that would want around. you know she's already she's already traveled this far to to help promote yeah. the event. Why why wouldn't you want her to be part of their promotional video as well? But I don't know. There are different people. I mean, in our business, obviously everybody's got a different focus, and the people with different focus outnumber the people with the focus that we think makes more sense. Right. No, absolutely. What do you got for on your list? I know you have a list over there. Uh, I was just checking off things. I think we've covered <laughs> so much. Uh, one thing I want to get into, too, is, is you got to have a lot of passion to do, especially the, the sacrifices I think you make and, and um, kind of uh, the foresight you have to have in order to do something like what you're doing. And, and uh, talk about that a little bit. What kind of passion do you both have for this? Well, again, it's about telling stories. And doing things that really interest us. Cynthia was mentioning this before, with the historical background that we've gone from with the whole gangster era and everything in St. Paul, that drives a lot of the creative thinking and for making Gangsterland and working on other projects. So I think you really have to believe in what you're doing. Um, you really have to want to, to do that and picture how it's going to come out in the end. And you were talking about that before. Did it start and end the same way? Most of the time, it does, but sometimes it's interesting because you'll start a project and then it just veers off and goes a whole different route. And you got to learn to adapt with that and enjoy it. And the choice to start this company and go full time with it was not an easy one. We have a child and we have bills like everybody else, uh, but Vic was in a job that he at that particular point didn't enjoy anymore. He was getting up at 3 in the morning to get to work by 4 a.m. every day. And uh, I think we talked about it, I don't know how many years, maybe three years, um, wanting him to quit that job and do this full time. And it just never seemed right. But we eventually got into a new house and we were able to scrape together enough money to live on for a year um, while building the business. And that was a really important component. We knew we had money to pay the bills while we were working on building this full time. Do you miss radio? Sometimes. Like this, what we're doing right now. Oh, this yeah. isn't even close to radio. But this is, but, but you got the microphones, yeah. you've got yeah, the sound is. and everything, and you're you're picturing how this will come across. I miss it sometimes. Stick figures. I'm drawing stick yeah. figures for all of the. <laughs> we used to produce uh, these year enders when I was working in Minnesota News Network, where you would take a minute and a half and take a subject like I would always do the economy, and oh, you'd put in great topic for. Yeah, oh, exciting, right? So you try to make it as exciting as possible with 25 sound bites, mm -hmm. and you jam it all in. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I miss that. But the day-to-day, -day, and as Cynthia mentioned, getting up at 3 and all that, if there were a better day part for me, perhaps, I would have enjoyed it a little more. But still, no, I, I, I miss radio, but not that much. Do you see radio evolving past having mm -hmm. live live jocks on the air and live people. I mean, they, they can synthesize voices now and just have them read computer text. It's, it's got to be going that way, it's, don't you It's think? already that way. I mean, listen to some um, certain traffic reports, and they're pronouncing the names of the streets all wrong. It's some guy sitting in New York reading the traffic for, you know, 20 cities in his section or whatever. Yep. And same with the DJs and stuff. They, they are very nonspecific these days because it's the same person being broadcast over 100 channels and then they just drop in the local spots so it's already going that way it's somebody like Bic uh, could 
starting out in radio today, you could not do what he did. Right. You just couldn't get that kind of job. I have a huge admiration for some of these small town radio stations that are still around. They're doing some automation because everybody has to mm -hmm. now to survive. But there are some stations around Minnesota and around the country that are still doing local programming. And I'm, you know, hats off. If you can make that work still, and I think there is a market for that. It's a niche market, yeah. People, but it, but it's become a niche, mm -hmm. like you said. It's not necessarily a huge Crap market. Years, you have to yeah. Now you've got to know exactly who you're going after. Yeah. And so, it, it, there's always been a fight in in the radio business, as we all know, between programming and sales. And one can't do it without the other. It seems like sales, though, has had the upper hand for an awful long time, and programming has suffered in many cases mm -hmm. just because it's not their decision anymore about what goes on the air. Right. You think it'll ever change, come back, cyclical? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where radio is in five or ten years. There's what, a guy in is. northeast Minneapolis who just, I guess the FCC just opened up some airspace, mm -hmm. which means you can buy some bandwidth. Mm -hmm. uh, he is going to produce a radio show that's going to stream and then have a real low wattage power. He's got an antenna on a building already near Broadway and in, in the river. Okay. And he's going to he's going to produce a he owns his own radio station now, I guess, essentially, which will which will then broadcast just to northeast Minneapolis. See, that's great. That reminds me back going back to my college days in uh, Ithaca, New York at Ithaca College. There was an a FM and an AM station. The cool guys were on the FM station. The AM station, WVIC, was a carrier current station. So we would go in, we'd do all our shifts, everything was live, and it went over the carrier current. So that means if you were in a dorm, you could pick it up through your electrical system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody could pick it up any other way. So we wondered sometimes, and it was amazing, we actually had listeners. People would call from their dorm rooms. College kids will listen to anything. Yeah. So... <laughs> That, I think that's great that a guy in Northeast is is uh, got the antenna up. He's bought yeah, some license and, and he's out there he, broadcasting. He owns his own radio. So then, there you go. He's got programming and sales. Hopefully, he's doing it all himself. Mm -hmm. So then he's you know he only conflicts with he has meetings with himself. You know, just to <laughs> figure out what they're going to put on the air. But then there's no fight. I mean, there's no sales. You know, wanting to push this yep. and and you know not getting away with this kind of programming. I just don't know what sort of FCC. Regulations come in because it's it is low wattage. Doesn't that sound like the origin of radio to begin with? It does. It does. You know? Yeah. Even so. with Wi-Fi now, everything you know, the radio waves might be going away or, or limiting, but Wi-Fi now it's everywhere. So these cars will all have Wi-Fi hotspots built right in, and that's where you'll get your podcast like this or anything else. And, yeah. and so I think it opens up the market. It kind of saturates it, but I think it's also very positive and motivating for the people that want to do it and get out there. It makes it a little tougher to you know, make money like we were talking about earlier, but it still gives that venue for people to get out and live the dream. If it's something you really want to do, I think you have to just sit back and trust that you're going to be able to make money with it. You're going to have to, and that's what we kind of look at, and, and I hope this isn't coming across as, you know, full of myself, but we feel like we have skills that other people doing this don't have, which is going to make us more attractive to clients, and we're going to get that business. And so we just, we had to believe that, or there's no way we could have had him quit his job mm -hmm. and try and jump into this. Skills plus experience. I mean, you right. two are, you know, you're experienced adults who have been in the, you know, workforce for well, years. You wouldn't call me an adult. Of course. Quite, yeah. <laughs> A very lovely young lady. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. 
<laughs> but yeah, you have experience. And I think that clients are going to relate to that instead of, and maybe, maybe I'm just being a little oversensitive, but I think instead of somebody coming right out of school, who's got a video camera, who was taught how to use a video camera in school, they have no experience. Mm -hmm. They have no real world applications on how to use that. Mm -hmm. And you guys have been doing it for a long, long time. It doesn't excuse us from learning new technologies, though, and that's something that you really, in the, this day and age, you've got to stay on top of that stuff, and that's something I wish I did a little bit better, but, you know, there's always ways to improve your, your workflow during the day and pick up on, you know, watching, sitting there watching tutorials and, and reading manuals and getting, you're good at that. No. Skinner, you're yes, always, really always I don't know how to read to the next notch of technology you're always there you've always hey i've got this this will get this done and it's all about what do you need done well what's the best thing for it mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's just because i'm lazy I, 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 <laughs> technology can help me get somewhere. very resourceful and I tell you what, talking about exec, executive producing i think skinner's one of the best executive producers i've ever oh met. absolutely yeah i would agree oh. we were talking before about not writing a script um, with a, a difficult place to get, I don't think anything stops you. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a boxing ring, sure. And, and we found did. we found a wrestling ring, an you actual did. wrestling ring, and we got yeah. it for free. Yeah, and you got a bus station. We got a <laughs> bus, station bus station for free, <laughs> right? Right. I and know. I think I, I find that the that the easiest way to to do something like that, and you kind of mentioned this, is to just go ask. You know, a lot yeah. of people I think are afraid. Oh, they'll never let me do that. They'll never let me film in there. And if you just go ask somebody and explain what you're doing. And show them that you're not going to destroy their location right. or their gear, and you're going to be responsible with it and kick out a good product. Most people are willing to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. We had a great experience that way with the crooners that we're doing. We shot a few scenes down in Lake City, and uh, we brought a crew down there and just stopped in the Chamber of Commerce, and they were bending over backwards. Oh, what can we do? Oh, this is great, shooting a movie in our town. Sometimes, like you said, it's just ask. Yep. Yeah, we went into a local restaurant. They said, "Sure, anytime you want." That's you fantastic. Know, now, you guys, what what do you have coming up? What can we expect in 2014 for Cybeck? Well, we've got Snow Girl, which is on uh, being worked on right now in post production. There's Crooners, which is the trailer that we're going to release out to uh, investment people uh, within you know by spring. Um, and we've we're working on various other pieces too, uh, including the wrap up on the the. Uh, Cheryl Crow concert. Yeah, and uh, Canadian Pacific has hired us to go and just shoot trains. Yep. So if they ever need to give B-roll of trains to a local TV station, they'll just you know go in and grab stuff that Dick shot and say, here you go. Fantastic. So look for us on the news. Oh, this glass table. It's awesome, isn't it? You <laughs> should see the spike on the timeline there, <laughs> banging my hand on the table. Before we close, one last thing I'd like to talk about, too, is what kind of motivating advice can you give to people or, or just tips for younger people, older people, whatever age bracket, but what, what can you tell them? Um, I was fortunate enough to work with some, have some interns over at our Minnesota News Network. There are kids that are coming out of St. Thomas and, and Brown and, and, and other colleges, and they were all wondering about doing voiceover and doing news and doing sports and there are opportunities there but I always try to steer people toward learn learn about economics learn about how to run a business learn about how to put together a budget and try to have as much control over what you're doing as you can to eventually you're gonna need some work experience eventually you should try to own your own business try to be entrepreneurial in this society I do believe that 
a lot of the corporate, I mean, we've seen it too, the erosion of healthcare benefits uh, that are paid for, pensions are gone pretty much. Um, the corporate America has changed a lot, and I think that you have to take more and more responsibility for your, your money coming in. And so learn your craft and think about how you can make it your own. I like multiple income streams, honestly, because the one thing isn't going to pay everything. And if you're entrepreneurial, be open to making money at, um, through various different ways. You know, like I still do the tour guide stuff, and it leads to a lot of connections for me. We've got the movie that we're selling, you know, scripts we're selling. It just um, we've got uh, other things we're selling online. Uh, to go along with Gangsterland. One of the things we're coming out with this week is the Wabasha Street Caves, where mm -hmm. I work doing the tours, um, had to replace the original dance floor from the 1930s uh, because the caves had been abandoned for a while. So we bought the remaining boards. And these are boards that were uh, played for by Tommy Dorsey and Cab Calloway and all the famous gangsters danced on them. John Dillinger, the Barker Gang, Pretty Boy Foot, Babyface Nelson. So we've got... Um, our poster of Gangsterland, and we've got a guy, my cousin, the guy with the cars, making picture frames out of these boards. Wow, that's and fantastic. you can buy it online. That's going to be the next thing coming up on uh, our Cybic website, is you can get yourself a, a picture frame made out of boards danced on by real gangsters. Wow. It's and funny it's, you mentioned the Cybic website. Tell us where, yeah. where we can find your stuff. Well, it's Cybic.com. Spell that for me, please. C-Y-B-I-C-K.com. And uh, that's our basic website. You can link on, or you can go to a, our separate uh, website, which is gangsterlandmovie.com. And that has all, and so the boards and or the frames will be on both of those. Uh, but those are our two websites for now. For now. Uh, we'll come up with something else. Come into something new. Well, yeah. guys, I want to thank you for, for joining us or allowing us to come into your home and, uh, yeah, and work awesome. on the Stude Media podcast. Uh, obviously, um, We'll let you know when this is gonna when this is gonna be live. I love this idea that you guys coming in and doing this stuff. This is great. Just I like it too. Kind of travel around and yeah. uh, everything media. We can we can explore all kinds of different areas and uh, have a lot of fun. And we definitely appreciate. It. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank I you for it. thinking of us. Absolutely. And that just like that, that's that. Cool. Did wow. We, did we hit did, everything? Did you record it? Oops. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs>